Welcome to episode 5 in our series, How to Build an Integrated Health and Care System. In each episode of this series, we'll be examining a particular feature of integrated systems and how you go about practically applying some of the lessons from successful leaders from around the world. Today we are talking about problem solving in complex adaptive systems. I'm Dr. David Hamilton, your host and guide in this journey. I've spent over 30 years working in the NHS in various guises as consultant, physician, director, chief executive, and I'm acutely aware of how difficult it is to promote true integration and collaboration among health and care partners. Today, I'll be talking to experts from Yale University about problem solving and a particular approach that they have developed, tested, and now teach across the globe. First of all, it's worth saying that problem solving sits at the heart of much of the work that people undertake in health and care. Not just solving the problems with which patients come to see and consult with clinicians, but increasingly the problems that beset any complex system, which relies on the interactions of organisations and individuals within them, as well as their citizens. So given how ubiquitous the issue of problem solving is, you would think we would have an agreed approach to how we go about this work, right? Wrong. Sure, there are plenty of approaches out there, but rarely do you see people agree which methodology to follow as they embark on solving increasingly complex or wicked problems. And even less commonly, do you see people actually stick to one? This is where I would like to introduce colleagues from Yale University. This collection of academics and practitioners within the School of Public Health have been working on how you bring teams together to solve problems across sectors in order to improve performance and outcomes. They describe themselves as operating very much at the intersection of scholarship and practice and have been collaborating with the NHS and other partners for well over a decade, running programmes for example involving teams of three people from systems visiting Yale and undertaking supervised project work here in the UK. These teams are increasingly diverse, reflecting the collaborative nature of the world of health and care, and now routinely include colleagues from local authorities, third sector and education. This is where I met Leslie Curry, Professor of health policy and management, who also teaches on the Global Health Leadership Initiative Programme, and Erika Lenanda, Director of GHLI and a lecturer in health policy and management. And I started by asking Erika to describe why she thinks the problem-solving methodology that they have developed is so important. Yeah, so one of the reasons that that the strategic problem solving methodology plays such a central role is because we want to ensure that participants and teams have a sort of scaffolding to uh, to use, a set of tools to use and approaches to use as they are trying to name and unpack and address complex challenges. So we work under the assumption that all the easy stuff has already been solved um, and that um, the folks participating in the program are tackling really complex, or I think as you would say in the UK, wicked problems, where you know if you pull a lever in one part of the system, you run the risk of completely dismantling another part of the system. And so the problem solving methodology gives, um, just kind of gives a set of steps around which teams can come together and start to organize their work. 
Um, we teach the problem solving methodology as eight steps. Um, you know, it could be six steps, it could be five steps, um, but we teach it as eight steps with the first part of the problem solving methodology really focusing on developing a shared understanding of the problem. So naming the problem or kind of coming up with a problem definition, coming up with an objective, and then completing a root cause analysis process. Now that whole part of um, you know, kind of naming and unpacking this complex challenge, I would say is probably 90% of the work because we know by nature, you know, to name a complex adaptive challenge requires multiple perspectives. It's really hard to get your hands around that and build that shared definition of the problem. Once we do that, then we go into, um, okay, well, how do, we, how do we come up with solutions that are going to be um, robust enough, sophisticated enough, elegant enough, uh, to be feasible and um, to address these the, the root causes of these complex challenges. So that's kind of the second bit of the problem solving methodology. And then the third bit was really around execution. Um, so implementation and evaluation. Um, the reason that we think this works is because it, it's a balance between kind of moving forward, gaining, con gaining traction on these complex challenges, but still allowing for enough complexity in the problem. So it allows us to kind of step away from traditional quality improvement methodologies, which really are more of a fit for technical challenges, um, and then bring in some of the adaptive leadership components that are so important um, in the context in which our, our participants are working. And Erica, I, I was struck by many, like many of the participants on the program from the UK, by the amount of time you deliberately spend on understanding the problem, naming it. I mean, geez, I remember the uh, writing the problem statement took us like ages. And I'm sure that were many people thinking, well, can we just get on with this now? Because like, we know what the problem is. And I have that thing ringing in my head, like, we know what the problem is. And turns out, we really didn't know what the problem was at all. I suppose my reflection was that that part of it was was so important and, and felt very different to me. And I guess that sounds like it is a real deliberate focus for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's so deceptively simple. Um, and yet this is the nature of complex problems is that we don't have a shared understanding of the problem. The problem is slippery. It's moving. It's evolving. Um, and so it really does require getting multiple perspectives across the system to the table or to the virtual table uh, together to say, well, what is going on? What is that? Um, what is the nugget? What is the essence of the thing that we're trying to solve for here? Um, I think very few of us have the opportunity to do that in our day jobs, you know, especially, you know, as you move up the food chain and you're forced with just kind of solving problems so rapidly, um, there's a lot of pressure on leaders to come up with the solution. In fact, you know, a lot of times we'll be, you know, we will have people say to us, don't bring me a problem unless you have the solution. You know, that's, that's kind of not how we're, we're not trained as leaders to be able to come to the table and say, hey, something's going on here. It's very important. I don't understand what it is and I need your help to help me unpack this. Maybe I'll just layer in um, it, to kind of highlight uh, Erica's description of the diversity of perspectives that need to be at the table. This is another really central part of the way that we work. Um, the phrase that we use is the guiding coalition. It comes from Cotter's work um, out of Harvard. And so these three-person teams that we've described go back to their systems and build a guiding coalition that is fully representative of stakeholders who are engaged with the problem. And so we spend a lot of time also supporting 
uh, delegates to think about in, in the UK program, delegates and in in, you know, broadly in this problem solving methodology to really think about um, the group dynamics and how we can elicit these diverse perspectives. Um, and I'll kind of put on my faculty hat. This is something that we've studied a lot at GHLI. We have a, um, a host of publications in empirical uh, literature around how we engage very deliberately in the elicitation of diverse perspectives, um, how uh, we need to form, as Erica was describing, an ecological view of the problem. We need to understand it very comprehensively. Um, we've just published a paper in a learning health system journal around creative problem solving and how this construction of, a, of an ecological view of a problem is really central to getting to a creative solution. So, um, so this is, I think, another feature of the way we, we approach problem solving. Certainly can't be done by one and not even by three, um, but by, by broader groups who are, who are connected to the problem. And again, reflecting on my personal experience, building that guiding coalition felt really quite unusual. And I suspect we probably think that we work with teams of people and groups of people to solve difficult strategic problems. But actually, the, the real focus on getting that coalition right and allowing them to, to generate the, the both the definition of the problem and indeed the solutions was, was stunning for me. Um, you've talked there, I think, beautifully also about your, your links between the academic world, learning um, and, and practice. So um, just tell us a bit about your experience of like the application of the problem solving model in real life, because you're really quite obsessed with doing this like in real life. It's not like a textbook exercise for you, is it? So kind of tell us a bit about that. Yeah, happy happy to talk about that. Um, you know, we use this methodology in all kinds of different contexts. So certainly it's a hallmark and a, and a central feature of our collaborations in the UK. Uh, we also use it around the world. So, you know, we've used it most recently in um, collaborations supporting with Gavi in support of national immunization programs in Africa and Asia, you know, working with, again, kind of coalition teams who are faced with overcoming, um, you know, challenges in supply and uptake of routine childhood immunizations. Um, we used this in the context of the uh, collaboration with the International Pediatric Association. So young pediatricians from around the world who are tackling complex challenges in child health. Um, so it's been really uh, fun and energizing to see how this approach can fit um, across context because it really, um, it seems to translate. It also, I think we have found that it's been quite, um, it's been a, quite a good fit with folks that have clinicians on the team because it does seem to fit with a clinical model where, you know, step one is diagnose and, you know, you have your diagnosis you probably have a couple of alternative diagnoses and then you want to collect the data to start to verify or disconfirm some of those suspicions. So it's almost like a team-based team-based model or coalition-based model but seems to resonate with clinicians um, working in very diverse contexts. Um, Leslie, I'll turn it over to you uh, maybe to talk specifically around the, the Leadership Saves Lives approach and um, how this worked in that context. Yeah, terrific. Thanks. Uh, so Leadership Saves Lives was a large scale intervention study that we conducted in U.S. in, the collab in collaboration with the Mayo Clinic Care Network. Um, I was on the science side with my faculty hat and Erica was on the intervention side leading the designing and leading the intervention for Leadership Saves Lives. 
Um, this was an initiative using the strategic problem solving methodology um, and using that together with efforts very deliberate to help organizations improve their culture, organizational culture, features of the ways in which they work. Um, I think one, one important uh, element of the Pro Leadership Saves Lives program was that it was built on an evidence base that was credible um, for cardiologists. So this study was focused on uh, cardiovascular care in the U.S., and we were um, uh, working with guiding coalitions across 10 hospitals in order to adopt this methodology, engage in problem solving within their organizations, um, and ultimately impact mortality for heart attacks in US. And so, so I think it's another feature of the connection between uh, the science um, and, and practice um, that really for us is, is quite central because we, we found looking at a hard outcome like mortality and showing that the ways in which hospitals work, their culture um, impacts mortality rates was really a quite compelling evidence base. So hospitals engaged in a two-year intervention led by Erica and a large team uh, to apply this methodology and to tackle um, the issue of cardiovascular care. At the same time, they were improving the ways in which they worked in the organization. And so, um, you know, I think multiple levels of impact in that initiative. Um, that also was an opportunity for us to do a lot of learning. Uh, so we generated um, 10 papers from that study. So there's you know, lots of generativity when you're able to engage effectively with busy practitioners. And so there I do, I do think um, quite important to not only go out and do the work, but see what, you, what, we can, what we can learn along the way. And I'm struck by how I still use the phrase itself, leadership saves lives in many of the conversations that I have with system leaders. And also that we've talked so much in this podcast series about culture and its underlying importance to how systems function. So it's really great to hear from you the reflections on the there is there is real strong academic evidence that will relate the two. And uh, it's just great to hear you um, have that played back from uh, so, such esteemed colleagues. So that's really brilliant. Um, I'm just going to move us on uh, to the uh, the real world and uh, what feels like it's the sole topic of conversation at the moment for any health and care professional or indeed any person in the world at the minute, and that's COVID. Um, and I, I just wonder what you think um, the, the learnings are and the applicability of the problem solving method might be in the kind of COVID environment. Like so many of us, uh, you know, we were faced about a year and a half ago um, with, with kind of a two part challenge. Um, the first was looking across our efforts to support systems leaders in their endeavors. We said, number one, you know, how can we just logistically, how can we keep doing this work in meaningful ways? How can we keep continue to provide um, the right type of support? Um, and then, so it was just a logistical question. And then there was this sort of content question to say, well, is the, are the approaches that we're using, is this grounding in a coalition-based model of adaptive leadership really the right thing? Is that what, is that what um, practitioners and systems leaders need right now? 
And fortunately, um, we were able to find a really good fit on both of those counts. So, you know, we were able to go back and look at, draw from our own experiences, go out to the literature, um, and also draw on some of the work happening at Yale in terms of professional education in the online space to really revamp everything that we were doing and translate, um, translate our programs into a fully virtual space so that we could still get these really meaningful conversations. So, um, on that front, we thought, wow, I mean, that really, I have to admit, exceeded my expectations. I was a big naysayer, so there's no way we can foster the type of cross-boundary, cross-organizational work that we need to have. We just can't, There's no way we can do that in the virtual space. And lo and behold, um, we were able to do that. So that's been, I think, really, really rewarding. And we've seen in, uh, in many of our programs actually an acceleration of the work that folks have been doing um, as compared to our in-person in-person programming. So the virtual collaborations, I think, have been quite robust. The second question is a content question to say, you know, does this coalition-based model still fit? Um, does, you know, does our, you know, this anchoring on adaptive leadership and strategic problem solving as the, the scaffolding for adaptive leadership, does that still fit in this context? Um, especially as we described earlier in the podcast, um, talking about the real value of spending that time, investing that time in understanding the problem. Well, here comes COVID. Life is crazy. We don't have time to step back and understand that problem. So can this still fit? And what we found in applying this methodology, continuing to apply this methodology across context, is that it actually really did fit. Because what we found were, was that practitioners and systems leaders were really trying to engage in sense making. They, they had a you know, rapidly evolving situation. Um, no one knew exactly what the problem was. And so they had to put teams together that had the, had the diversity to understand this evolving landscape, had the trust and the relationships to make decisions and take risks in very, um, in very rapidly changing times. And so we found that actually uh, systems leaders felt a sense of relief by having this type of a structured approach um, in a pretty chaotic landscape. So found that it was able to, to work pretty well. Um, Leslie had the, the great uh, foresight said, as she always does to say, hey, let's study this systematically as it unfolds, let's study this type of transformation. So Leslie, I'll turn it over to you to, to share some of the lessons from that. Yeah, thanks so much, Erica. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of the academic geek that sits on the side just waiting for something to study. So I, I, I'm just so lucky to have colleagues that are patient with me. <laughs> so I think there's another research question here. Um, so this actually ties to the, the UK uh, leadership program as well. Um, we identified uh, one of the field projects I mentioned that teams go back and with coaching from Erica and others, implement a project out in the field. And so there was one of our delegate teams that was um, interested in, in looking at the potential of um, a risk stratification software to help them identify vulnerable, vulnerable patients during COVID. And so this came to our attention. We were able to get uh, funding to do a, a case study focused on their work. Um, this is the COVID Protect project um, coming out of Norfolk and Waverly. And um, uh, we learned a lot from individuals in the program. We did a, used a case study approach, you know, so we do mixed methods in our work at, at GHLI. 
both looking at quantitative data to try and understand the magnitude of a problem, as well as qualitative data to try to understand sort of how, how those problems um, you know, are unfolding. And in this study, we talked with 26 of the individuals involved in the guiding coalition. So one of our delegate, you know, our delegate team went back, created a guiding coalition in the midst, you know, COVID blows up. Um, and it seemed to actually accelerate their capacity to work on the project. Um, we do have a paper forthcoming, we hope, um, in the BMJ. We're in a revise and resubmit stage, so I don't know if we should put that out there, but uh, send positive energy. This paper will describe the lessons learned from the project. We also, with the Eastern Academic Health Science Network, do have a roadmap that's published online. So maybe we can make a link somehow um, to, to that for people who are interested in learning more. Um, but just to very briefly kind of describe what, what we learned um, from this team, watching them sort of in real time, how, how were they able to think about defining um, the problem, the focal problem they could work on. And through a process of understanding which were the most vulnerable patients to protect, they kind of lasered in and built out a system that was able to integrate health and social care for these patients. When we looked at the team, the coalition itself, and the ways in which it, it was able to be so successful, working so fast in the midst of crisis, there were some ways of working that I think um, you know, were kind of reinforced. The capacity was developed for those ways of working through the delegation's engagement with our program, um, meaning they, they were paying attention to having all the voices at the table. As Erica described, you know, getting all of the kind of perspectives, um, feeling safe in the space to contribute. And, and that was something that was really a feature of the way in which people worked. Um, the, the ability to feed real time into cycles of improvement. How can we fix the software to be more effective in this particular context? So lots of, I think, attention towards ways of working across the coalition, um, information, feeding it back daily at five o'clock. So um, just real, I think, attention towards the importance of communication and coordination. But what we were kind of most intrigued with were the, were the efforts to balance these tensions that we know emerge as we're trying to tackle problem solving. So we know, for instance, that, um, that we need to both take advantage of diversity in the team and recognize you know, that it's hard to do. So in this particular instance, the GPs, there was sort of a, a lot of friction from the GPs. Um, you know, how do we engage with this? Is it gonna make life easier or worse for us? Um, and, and making sure that you both, they sort of tended to that diversity, addressed that friction and engaged those clinicians, I think was really quite wise um, and really quite impressive to see the clinicians actually having input all along the process of kind of creating and refining the software and engaging throughout the work. I think really, really interesting. Um, they also, I think, were, were quite effective in this um, sort of taking uh, kind of having central control of elements of the program, but allowing for flexibility across various sites. And so this issue that, you know, kind of the, the awareness it's built from our prior work um, around dissemination or diffusion of, of innovations, where we need to allow for local adaptation for things to succeed. And so they found, I think, a quite um, powerful balance between centralizing what was happening at the project level and also allowing for adaptability um, as people were doing, doing the work. And then lastly, um, I think very deliberate attention towards balancing risk and accountability in this space. And so, you know, 
I think many health systems are quite risk averse, um, UK like any other. Um, there were some elements in the environment that allowed for risk to be embraced, I think. Um, so broad context, you know, uh, the COPE data privacy rules were loosened up. There was funding flows. So were things that were sort of facilitated the ability to take risk um, where, where those typically involved for risk management delegated to the front lines. So really interesting examples of sort of real empowerment um, of the front line to, to solve problems in real time at the same time as they ensured accountability. So they were kind of making sure that they had metrics that everybody agreed to and that those, those metrics were being monitored carefully. So I think the management of those tensions was one of the most interesting things we saw in that project. So we can point you to the roadmap um, if that's something that you wanna make available to listeners. We will definitely do that, Leslie, that's for sure. So we'll make sure that link uh, is available. Um, I, I'm, I'm struck by how positive it is to hear that people, when they're knee deep in the, in the current problems, uh, still manage to have the time and space to engage with work that you're describing and actually use the strategic problem solving methodology constructively, even though they might feel like they've got such an urgent set of priorities it's great that people can still have that headspace and also that that it's still applicable in the virtual world as well because pretty much a lot of this stuff has to be done virtually and we're experiencing that also in the UK so it's great that you can still do that and also brilliant that you're still churning out great academic work from it as well so it's not going to be lost to the world because that's the other that's the other thing um uh, I, I'm just going to kind of finish by letting you guys uh, have a couple of minutes to say anything you would like to leave as kind of key messages with any of our system leaders who are listening in the audience. You, you've given us fantastic insights into Yale approach generally and the problem solving methodology. Any final thoughts from uh, either of you? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll start Erica and then you wrap us up. Yeah, great. I think um, a couple of key messages from, from my perspective uh, are really the importance of appreciating the opportunities and the challenges of working in these broad, diverse teams. You know, the kinds of complex challenges we're, we're looking out at trying to solve really can't be done from a unidimensional you know, perspective. And yet it's not easy work to do. Um, so I think, you know, kind of recognizing that that working in these diverse teams can be really quite, quite difficult. It's really sort of the only way forward. Um, and uh, so I think that's one important lesson. And then the second, I think, is this sort of tending to the relational aspects of work, you know, paying attention to the ways in which we engage, not only having a, a quite powerful methodology, the strategic problem solving methods that that Erica um teaches globally, um, but also sort of tending to group dynamics and the, and the ways in which we accomplish our work. And these two, these two, I don't know, tools together, I think um, offer tremendous opportunities for us to solve the problems that, you know, that we're all most concerned about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Leslie, that's perfect. And I couldn't say it any better. Um, I think I'll just add that, you know, so many systems leaders uh, find themselves in a very lonely position. And so, you know, kind of two things I would emphasize. One is that um, by the nature of the work, there is no way that you can have the answers. Um, you know, you're facing complex challenges and there's, it's just, it's, there's no way that you could have those answers. So let yourself on, off the hook. 
um, and instead turn your attention to um, fostering these effective coalitions, building the relationships, putting in the structures um, that will allow you and your teams to be successful. The second is along the same lines, just given the, the nature of the adaptive challenges that, that everyone's facing, that this time to step back, to, to reflect and to make sense of these complex challenges, um, that is the leadership work. And so I think we often um, see reflection as a sort of self-absorbed luxury. Um, instead, it is the very thing that we in our organizations need to be doing in order to really kind of overcome these persistent challenges and thrive in times of rapid change. So um, put your teams together, um, give you and your teams structure and space to reflect. Um, and, and I think that'll, hopefully that will help to kind of push through some of these persistent challenges. That's so insightful from both of you. Thank you. And this resonates with so much of the conversation we, we've been having throughout this podcast series. So what you've given us today has been absolutely fantastic, stunning in its uh, both its simplicity in the world of complexity, but also in terms of its impact as well. So thank you both enormously. It's been a real pleasure talking to you both. I just want to get in a thank you for giving us the opportunity oh, for, to, to be in a real yeah. treat to reconnect and to reflect on this work and share perspectives. Um, I think the three of us together, um, you know, David, you with your systems yeah. work, you know, Leslie, yeah. our, our ongoing collaboration. I feel like the three of us together um, have a lot of the pieces of the puzzle. It's fun to get together and think about these things. I hope you've enjoyed listening to that conversation and the insights that Leslie and Erica brought. So I think we've been encouraged to first of all, pick a problem-solving method that works and stick to it. Details of the Yale model are available on their website. Build a guiding coalition whose perspectives inform both understanding the problem initially and actively contribute to solutions. Recognise and manage the tensions that inevitably exist in such diverse teams. We've seen that even in the relative chaos of a global pandemic, these approaches can work and still be very effective, despite the obvious immediate pressures. Finally, do not underestimate the importance of leadership in the context of problem solving and bringing a culture that supports high-functioning, empowered teams. In our next episode, we will be examining another facet of system leadership. If you want to chat more about integrated health and care systems, you can find me on Twitter at DavidHamilton1 or visit dhleadershipalliance.co.uk. Join us next time as we continue our exploration of how to build an integrated health and care system. Goodbye.